How's it going, guys? Jared Lopes back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. As always, so good to be with you. Hey, if you have ever struggled with doubt in your walk with the Lord, uh, if you're currently struggling with doubt, uh, this episode is going to be hopefully very encouraging to you. So um, for those of you that just stumbled upon the podcast and you're like, what is this? What are you guys all about? We're just a group of guys from around the world who are trying to take our faith our family and our marriage very seriously. I always say it's really easy to find guys who will watch a game with you or go hit a bucket of balls or do whatever dudes do. But uh, it's a lot harder to find guys that you can actually like process real life stuff with when it comes to just your faith in Jesus and trying to lead your family well and your struggles and all that kind of stuff. So that's what we try to do at Dad Tired. We are a community of men from all over the world who are trying to fall in love with Jesus and to help our family do the same. Um, we have a little online corner of the internet where we all hang out. Uh, It's on a Facebook group. There's thousands of guys in that group and uh, they're always encouraging each other. So I highly recommend if you're new to the podcast, head over there. Um, You can go to dadtired.com and just click the community tab and you'll see a link that will link you directly over there. Um, For those of you guys that are interested, we have two conferences coming up, one in Ohio in September and then one in November in the Austin, Texas area. So if you live near any of those or you're willing to travel to come to those, we would love to have you. Both of the information, our information for both of those is on the website. So you can just go to dadtire.com and then click the conferences tab and that will link you over to any of the information that you need either again for that Ohio conference coming up in September or the um, Austin, Texas one happening in November. If you're not familiar, these conferences are one day conferences where we spend a whole day together, group of guys. Uh, we get together and there's usually anywhere between 30 and 100 guys, kind of depending where we are. And we just spend a day talking about what does it look like for the gospel to uh, change our heart, our go- the gospel to change our marriage, the gospel to change our parenting, and the, the way that the gospel changes the way we see ourselves at work. So they're very, I, I, I personally think they're the most impactful thing we do. If you want to like help sponsor those, uh, or maybe you can't make it to one, but you just want guys to be able to go or maybe scholarship a guy who can't go. Um, we would love, that's a huge, huge help. We always need that. There's a lot of guys who can't make it um, for financial reasons. We're always trying to lower the cost, but there are some hard costs built in that we don't have much flexibility on. So if you want to sponsor a guy or just contribute to the these conferences so that we can do more, that would be huge. That would, that would actually be a really big help if you're thinking, like, how can you support the ministry? We're a nonprofit, so all of that's tax deductible, but you can go to dadtire.com forward slash give and then just make a tax deductible contribution there. And you can just write a note to say, I want this to go towards the conferences and we'll make sure that that happens there. So, uh, and then lastly, last announcement before we dive into today's episode, which again, if you're struggling with doubt or you have, or you know someone who is, or you have a child who is, um, I think this episode will be helpful for you in that regard. But um, last announcement, if you want a free cruise, uh, we're still doing the Dad Tired book giveaway. So if you just pre-order online anywhere where books are sold, pre-order the Dad Tired and Loving It book, and then just keep your order number, go to dadtired.com forward slash pre-order, and then you can actually enter in that order confirmation number, and you will be entered in to win a free cruise for two throughout the Caribbean next year, dadtired.com, or sorry, Dad Tired Cruise 2020. It's going to be amazing, and you have a chance to win. Very good chances of winning um, if you're not already connected and haven't drawn there. Oh, and that's, uh, I wanted to let you guys know too, that that's actually for, uh, as many orders as you play. So if you play, if you end up getting 10 books on 10 separate orders, you want to gift them to friends or guys at work or some guys at your church. Um, each of those order numbers will count as a giveaway. You just need to go back to dadtire.com forward slash pre-order, and then you can enter in the new order number and you'll be entered again for that cruise. So, uh, if you want multiple entries, you want to get a few books for your friends, 
that's the way to do that and hopefully secure your chance at winning that free cruise for two. Anyway, love you guys. Uh, I think this is going to be a helpful interview for you. Hit me up on Instagram if you're not already over there. Join the Facebook group. But uh, have a good rest of your day. Let's dive into today's episode later. I'm so excited that you decided to hang out with us today. For the audience who may not be familiar with who you are, uh, tell us who you are and what you're up to these days, man. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. It's a great, op- great opportunity, and I'm so stoked to get to chat with you. Um, so right now, I'm lead pastor of Westside of Jesus Church in the Beaverton area, and uh, we've been here for about five years. And then before then, we were kind of all over from Hawaii to England to <laughs> Vienna, wow. uh, Southern Cal, so... But yeah, it's been it's been a great time here in the Pacific Northwest. Nice. Tell me what's what's your family like. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, my wife, uh, her name's Elisa. We've been married coming up 19 years, wow. and we have a 14 year old daughter named Amelia, and we have a fuzzy golden doodle. Um, and the most recent addition, sadly, <laughs> is is a cat. Oh, I'm not, I'm not yeah. a huge cat I'm guy. I'm not either, man. But... I feel you. <laughs> I think they're a byproduct of the fall, but that's another conversation. <laughs> uh, 19 years of marriage, man. That's a long yeah. time. What have you learned in 19 years of marriage? Oh, man. Just the importance of grace and communication and trust and time spent together. Um, I have an amazing wife, and she's gone with me all over the world, and I couldn't ask for really just a better woman. She's she's amazing. By far the better half. <laughs> Do you have any uh, like weekly or monthly rhythms that you have either are still incorporating uh, into your marriage or at some point you've had incorporated into your marriage that you felt was like really beneficial for you guys? Yeah. I mean, just the importance of having a Sabbath every mm-hmm. week yep. that's like on the same day has been absolutely just vital for us. You know, when we were first married, we didn't really do that. It was just kind of you work whenever and you spend time together whenever. And that was fine. But um, as the years have gone on, um, just the importance of saying this is our day together, and for the most part, really trying to keep that sacred. So that's been that's been huge for us, and um, just simple things like you know being together, uh, going on dates together, uh, eating together, um, just keeping our relationship moving forward. Um, so vital. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It's funny we've we've had a bunch of Portland guys on the show: uh, AJ Swoboda, John Mark Comer. Uh, yeah. a bunch of Portland guys and almost every time Sabbath comes back into okay. the conversation, which is AJ, he's like the master right, of that. Right. Amazing. Book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sweet man. Well, the reason I wanted to have you on the show today, which I'm so grateful you're here is, uh, really to talk about your new book. Uh, I'd love for you just to kind of tell us what it is, the title, what it's about, what made you want to write it. And, and then I'll probably have like 6,000 more questions for you. Okay, sounds good. Uh, yeah, so the book's called When Faith Fails, Finding God in the Shadow of Doubt. And um, I wrote this book uh, for a number of reasons. One, just coming out of my own life and having gone through a season of deconstruction and thinking through different aspects of my faith and coming out on the other side. Uh, secondly, is more pastoral and just wanting to help walk alongside of people who are wrestling with doubt and, and unanswered questions. And uh, really, thirdly, just to give some practical tools on what it looks like to wrestle with God through times of doubt. Um, so, yeah, I went through kind of a season of my life. You know, St. John of the Cross, he talked about the dark night of the soul. And I think inevitably 
we're going to go through times like that where God seems distant. And uh, there were different times in my life where that was the case. And um, there was even a season where, uh, like I said, it was deconstruction and thinking through various theology and aspects of scripture and what I thought about church, et cetera, et cetera. And through that process of the reconstruction on the other side um, and learning the importance just of, of trust and relationship with Jesus in that process. So, um, you know, the, the, the name when faith fails is kind of jarring, like does faith ever fail. Um, but I really argue that you can encounter God um, in those seasons and struggles of doubt. Mm. What was your, when you're talking about your own journey of like doubt, those seasons of doubting for you personally, uh, how recently was that? Like how far back into your story is that, did that? Yeah, it was like last, last night. Um, <laughs> no, oh, actually, well, kind of tongue in cheek. I, I think I think a lot of people um, will just perpetually wrestle with stuff. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of us are wired that way. So certainly that's, that's part of my story. Um, but yeah, it started in middle school. Um, wrestling with some of the brokenness I saw in my family and trying to come to terms with that. Um, and then that led into graduating high school and spending a year working in an orphanage uh, for disabled orphans. Mm. And it was an amazing, amazing time. But I just remember really struggling then with the problem of suffering because these were kids who were suffering so much and had these these uh, disabilities that were causing a lot of pain. And so that was a part of it, becoming a pastor later on um, at the age of 25 uh, in Hawaii. Mm. Um and uh, because when you're 25, you know, you know everything, you're ready to be a pastor. <laughs> exactly. and, yeah. uh, but, you know, anyone who's in ministry, I think just anyone who's living and has a pulse, you know, you're going to go through, you're going to hear stories and walk with people uh, who are going through times of suffering. And I just remember like sitting next to a woman in our church who they had just lost their newborn child and just weeping with them, you know, uh, the day that happened and dealing with suicides and um, people wrestling with, with addictions, et cetera, et cetera. And as a pastor, you're kind of like in the trenches and you're hearing these stories day in, day out. And, and so, you know, as the years went on, I just didn't know what to do with the struggles and doubts that I had. And on top of that, just, you know, wrestling theologically as I'm reading different books. And I kind of come from a background where doubt was perceived as an enemy, mm. uh, something to suppress, and so I've just kind of pushed it down, pretend it wasn't there, put on the happy face. It's all good, right? Smile, Christianese. Um, but the doubt was like there, it was festering, it was growing, and I didn't know what to do with it. Mm. And so I finally, there was a season in my life, uh, 2010, um, I talk about this in the book. Um, we moved to Oxford, England. I was actually born in Oxford, you'd never guess it, no based on the accent. No. But went, went back to Oxford and did a master's degree there. And it was at that time I just said, you know what? I need to just be honest and like bring this stuff to the surface and take a season of my life where I'm going to engage with these difficult issues. And so I did. And uh, man, it was like the most intense time. I'm reading like a book a day and writing on all these subjects and really just wrestling with God. Um, and it was a, it was a beautiful, hard, uh, excruciating, redemptive season. Um, and coming through that, just some of the lessons that, that God showed me, I, I feel like so passionate to, to share with others. Um, 
And so, yeah, there was some, there was some rethinking of, you know, some aspects of theology like eschatology or creation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there was a season where I'm like wrestling with the questions that atheists were asking and, uh, kind of went down that path for a while. Again, I talk about that in the book. Um, but then, you know, there was kind of a turning point, uh, halfway through that season and, uh, God just kind of revealed himself to me in, in new ways and, um, began to just put my faith back together. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis, he talks about God being the great iconoclast, mm. um, in, in the book, A Grief Observed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, that's what doubt is. It's like when, when your view of God is being shattered, whether it's intellectually or because of some traumatic event or something you read in scripture that's confusing, and, and you just feel that, that who he is to you being shaken and changed. Like Asaph said, my, my feet almost slipped, Psalm 73, right? It's that spiritual vertigo. Um, but then Lewis, after calling God the great iconoclast, he then begins to move into a place of trust, saying, essentially, hey, I don't know what you're up to, and I don't know why you allowed this tragedy to happen in my life. For him, it was the death of his wife, mm-hmm. but I'm going tr- to trust you anyway, right? So there's this beautiful line, um, until we have faces, and he essentially says, Lord, you yourself are the answer. I don't know why you're not giving me the answer, but I've come to discover that you are the answer. You're the one that my heart is desiring. Wow. Uh, so a lot of your, it sounds like, questions and like, I guess, core of your doubt was really centered around... Uh, it sounds like suffering. Would you say that that's true? The suffering you saw right that now? was definitely yeah. That was definitely part of it, and I think I think that that is the core issue really um, that drives so much of doubt. Um, why is there suffering in the world? Or wrestling through the violent portions of Scripture um, and theodicy, you know, the philosophical term for the problem of evil, is such a broad topic. So yeah, I, I would say that was probably the big one. Um, and, you know, there are other, other things I was wrestling through, too, theologically. But if I had to boil it down, I'd say that that is the mm-hmm. one for sure. You said that you were wrestling with some or asking some of the same questions that your atheist friends were asking. Like, can you give us an example? What kind of questions were you asking? Well, um, does God exist? <laughs> That's probably the big one. <laughs> Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I took a, I took a year and... Um, was part of my studies at the University of Oxford, uh, was researching, reading, writing on atheism. Mm. Um, and so went back to some of the old atheists and up into the, the so-called new atheists and just seeing what they, they have to say. Uh, Nietzsche, Nietzsche is a fascinating thinker to me because he was honest with his athe- atheism. Um, I feel like a lot of the, the new atheists today don't fully live out the repercussions of their atheism in what way but Nietzsche well so if if you go down the path of a godless universe and then truly there is no morality right um Dawkins said we live in a world of blind pitiless indifference so there's no meaning there's no purpose um nothing but but indifference from the universe well if that's true then how can you structure your life in such a way where you're living ethically where you're living morally where you still have purpose where you still have meaning 
And what I began to discover, the more I read these atheistic writers, um, well, Nietzsche, he put it this way. He said, if you stare into the abyss long enough, the abyss stares into you. Like mm-hmm. there's a kind of a gnawing, crushing nothingness at the end of that path. And I, I began to see that and realize that like, wow, okay, if you live out this atheistic worldview, where is it going to lead you? Uh, where is it going to take you? And uh, for Nietzsche, why I find his story so fascinating is, you know, he talked about madness being one of the repercussions of a godless mm. world. And that actually became a self-fulfilling prophecy for him. Um, living out the implications, like, really? We, we are just an accident. None of this makes any sense. And some have suggested, and personally, I think this, this could be the case, that his own madness, you know, he, he died insane, essentially, was a byproduct of uh, some of his atheistic worldview. Mm. So I, I talk about that, I think, in chapter two. Um, and that obviously that's not always the case. But John Gray, um, he, he wrote this book uh, called Straw Dogs, which is fascinating. It's a dark read. He's an atheist thinker, um, I think based out of London, England. And he takes the new atheistic task for their perspective of essentially trying to keep Christian values with an atheistic worldview. Mm. And John Gray, kind of in the spirit of Nietzsche, he's like, really, we can't and shouldn't do that. Like, we can't objectively say, he uses examples like the Holocaust or whatever, he'd say, from an atheistic worldview, we can't say these things are wrong because there really is no right or wrong. Um, So I, I think any worldview, you have to think through, like, where is this leading? What are the implications? What are the ramifications? How is this going to intersect with my life, um, what is this abyss like, right? Yeah. If I'm going to stare into yeah. it. Is it, I, I lo- your answer at the beginning was so refreshing when I asked you like how far back and you said last night. <laughs> that was a really refreshing <laughs> answer. Uh, I appreciate you saying that. It, obviously, uh, you're, you're leading one of the healthiest churches in the Portland area and one of the largest churches in the Portland area and you're shepherding people really well. I've got lots of friends who are under your leadership and just love your church. So you're doing a great job. So I just want to say that in there, but, um, but in the midst of that, like how, how much as a, as a shepherd leader teacher, do you feel like this is, do you find yourself still trying to like push some of that down or is this just like, I'm willing to wrestle through this stuff week in and week out with the people I'm leading? Yeah, um, man, that's a great question. So when I was a pastor in Hawaii, my approach was much more just push Mm -hmm. it down and I'm here to give answers, right? And I I never really want to talk through or talk about or even personally acknowledge some of the struggles I had. Now it's different. I mean, you know, I wrote this book, very honest with the church, like where I'm at. um, And... um, yeah, I mean, I think as pastors, we're just flawed, ordinary humans, and we're going to go through times of struggles. And there'll be times teaching, you know, where if I come across a difficult portion, you know, I'll say, here's some answers. Honestly, I'm not sure yeah. <laughs> what the answer is here, but here's some possibilities. Here's some things. Here's kind of where I've landed. So I think just being honest with the journey with people. Um, now that can be taken too far where it just becomes this weird slippery slope of ambiguity and not, not really leading right. anywhere. Um, I think, I think what makes a Christian uh, story and worldview so compelling is that there are intellectual, robust, compelling, beautiful answers. Um, 
and we come from a long litany of, of thinkers and authors and writers and intellects and people who are just you know profound in their understanding of who God is. Um, and so it's not like we just stand on you know a, a sand foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a rock there of history and theology and God's word that we can stand on. But I think just personally, yeah, I you know deconstructing doubt has been a big part of. I think the last few years for me in in teaching, just helping people recognize there is space here to ask questions and there's space to wrestle. Uh, It's interesting as you were talking about that, when I asked the question about leading people every week and as you were sharing that answer, um, I couldn't help but think this week uh, there was some big news about Joshua Harris, um, the former pastor who... Uh, kind of renounced his faith this week. You don't have to have any thoughts on that, but I was just curious if you had heard about that and if you had any thoughts on it. Yeah, I have. I have heard about that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's sad. Um, my mind goes to Jude twenty two. Uh, it says, "Be merciful to those mm-hmm. who doubt." And I, I I think what's sad about it is the very public way. Mm-hmm in which it was done and the impact that will have on people who right now are on the brink of wondering, do I believe or not believe, or those who are struggling with, with faith and doubt. I mean, I just got a message uh, last night. Someone messaged me on the Instagram and they're like, Oh, I just feel so shattered by this news. And I don't know what I think Mm -hmm. anymore. So I think that's where the sad part is. Um, and I can't speak into his, his journey or his struggle, but, it has probably come after years and years of doubting, wandering, disillusionment, whatever. Um, and that's where he's landed. It's not surprising. Um, and I think we're going to see this happen more and more because we live in a time um, where we kind of breathe the secondhand smoke mm-hmm. of doubt, right? Um, it's, it's a secular age um, and doubt is increasing in our nation. Like the, the stats are, are crazy right now. It's the amount of people who, consider themselves post-religious or post-church. Um, two-thirds of Americans say they struggle with doubt on a regular basis. And uh, Gen Z, this is like a recent like Pew survey, Gen Z is considered the least Christian generation of our nation's wow. history. So I think this is just kind of the beginning of it. Um, and I think it will increase. And I think this is why it's so vital that we have a, a, an understanding of what do we do when we're confronted with doubt? And is doubt something that we can acknowledge and talk through, or is it just something to be suppressed or idolized in some cases? Um, What I want to argue is, hey, when you experience doubt, you can actually, as you wrestle through it, you can encounter God on the other side. You don't have to walk away from your faith. Yeah, that's really, that's where I'd like to kind of shift in our conversation is like, what did, what's the scripture say about doubt? Like how, what's God's reputation when it comes to people who doubt? Oh man, I, that is such a good question. Um, wow. So Jesus, he got his disciples together on a mountain and he, he's standing before him resurrected. So if, if ever there's a time not to doubt, that would <laughs> right, probably be right, it. Right, like, oh wow. <laughs> Which kind of gives me like a morbid humor uh, and joy to, to read that. Like, oh, they doubt and they saw Jesus. Um and it says, you know, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, one of the most revolutionary moments in the Christian story, go into the world, preach the gospel. And it says some worshiped and some doubted. Mm. And what's so crazy is that Jesus sent them both out. Mm. Like 
if it were me, I'd probably separate the worshipers <laughs> and the doubters. Like, doubters, go home, you're done. Like, yeah. if you don't believe me now, you'd never, never believe me. But he's setting them all out. Wow. Uh, and they turn the world upside down, right? So Jesus, no one showed more mercy to the doubter than Jesus. Mm. Um, and scripture is just teeming with the words and voices and verses and songs and stories of men and women who wrestled and who had doubts and had questions. And so to kind of look at it meta, I, I would go all the way back to Genesis and say, where do we get our understanding and theology of doubt? Genesis 3 is where most people go. Um, and they see that Satan used doubt to deceive um, Adam and Eve. And they say, see, doubt is wrong. It's evil. It's bad. Satan used it. And sure, doubt can be used in a destructive way. But if our theology of doubt comes from Genesis 3, we're kind of missing it. I, I think it should come from Genesis 1. Hmm. And I, I talk about that in chapter 1, where I think God created the world in such a way where qu asking questions was part of the package, hmm. right? So in, in Genesis, you have a limitless God creating a world. And an infinite God breathing life into a world, and yet the world he makes had very real limits and boundaries. Um, Eden had limits and boundaries. Adam and Eve had limits and boundaries. They didn't know everything. And at the same time, though, he made them insatiably curious. Mm. <laughs> they, they wanted to learn, inquire, and discover. Sometimes I got him in trouble. But, but God even told him, go, like, be fruitful, multiply, explore. I've given you this world. So he makes a world of limits. At the same time, he makes him curious. And I think God makes a world like that with boundaries and barriers and yet making us curious so that we dream about what's on the other side, so that we'd want to ask questions, so we'd want to explore, ask, seek, knock. It's why when you go to Deuteronomy, um, God tells Israel, he says, when your kids ask these questions, here's how you can engage with them. So God's assuming, hey, this is the culture I want you to have. Mm. Be question askers. Um, Rabbi... Uh, Isidore Isaac Rabbi, he was a um, thinker, uh, a, a prize winner uh, for his science uh, a couple generations ago. And someone once asked him, they're like, you've been so successful. Um, what's the key to your success? And he said, the key to my success is the way that my mom greeted me when I came home from school every day. And the person interviewing him was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, most moms would say, did you learn anything today? And he said, my mom would ask me, did you ask any good questions today? Mm, wow. That's, that's what made the difference. And I think that's the kind of culture that God created with Israel. Israel, he who wrestles with God, right? God calls his people to be wrestlers, to be luchadors, if you're a fan of Nacho Libre. Um, <laughs> and, and Jesus was the same way, right? He asked questions over and over and over again, over 300 times, actually, yes questions. He invited others to ask him questions. Um, so I think scripture is so refreshing when you see it that way, of a collection of people who are asking questions, wrestling with God, sometimes walking away with clear, compelling answers, and other times saying, you know what? Your grace is sufficient for me. I don't know why, why this thorn is here, or Jesus wrestling in the garden, not my will, but, but your will be done. Or Habakkuk wrestling on his little tower saying, I don't understand why there's injustice, but I'm going to worship you anyway. Or Moses wrestling with God's character in Sinai. Why would you, you know, eliminate an entire nation? 
and then God shows him his glory. So, so I think sometimes God doesn't just give us answers. He gives us himself mm. and see that in scripture. That's awesome, man. My, uh, my eight-year-old son is a very, uh, his, I think his mind is built very engineer-like. He's very, I just want the answers. I want to know how things work. I want to know how things were pieced together. And every time we read stories of the scripture, I tell him these stories of the scripture. One of the things he says often is, it's just so hard to believe. It's just so hard to believe. Uh, and I see him wrestling, even in his eight-year-old brain, like, man, you know, I, I believe Jesus. I want to believe Jesus, but this is just such hard stuff to believe. Uh, and as a parent, I'm trying to figure out, like, wh- how do I give my son the space and freedom to ask good questions and to wrestle with these the mysteries of God while also continuing to point him towards Jesus? I guess my question would be, like, for the dads of kids who are asking good questions, um, some of our tendencies would be to be say, like, well, that's just the way it is. That's just what the Bible says, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what we don't want to do is, you know, obviously damage and hurt that environment. So, what would you say to that dad who's listening, who's got uh, a curious or maybe even doubtful child? Mm, man, I mean, what you just said was so so spot on. And you're right. Like a lot, a lot of people um, grew up in homes where remember that bumper sticker: "God said it, I believe it." That settles it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like really? Yeah. Um, I, in fact, I think my parents may have had that bumper sticker. <laughs> it's so hilarious. So it kind of gives you an insight of the, yeah. the upbringing I had in middle school. Yeah. But um, I think it should be "God said it, I, I believe it." But let's wrestle. Mm. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Right. That, that's more what you see. Um, and and again, I go back to how the kind of culture God is creating with his kids, Israel. And he tells the parents, Hey, let them ask questions. When your kids ask this, this is the story you're to tell them. Um, I think the worst thing we can do is just say, that's, that's the way it is and deal with it or don't ask questions. Um, I think Eugene Peterson, he said that pain entered into accepted and owned can become poetry. Mm. Um, Doubt, Doubt is a form of, of pain. Um, it's it's hard when, when our kids are asking these questions. Um, sometimes it can be very emotional, very difficult for them because they're wanting to believe, and yet they, they don't know how or what that looks like. And I think just letting them know, look, I'm, I'm here for you. Any question you want to ask, I, nothing is off limits here. And Let's talk about this. Let's read a book together. Let's go on a walk together. Let's pray about this together. Let's wrestle together. Um, the beauty of that is like relationship is developed um, in a deeper way, I think, with our kids yeah. as, as we wrestle together. And then they grew up in this understanding of, oh, I don't have to suppress my doubts or uncertainties or pain. Um, this is something my dad cares about. And their view of us as dads will shape their view of God, right? There's been so many studies yeah. done on the importance of being a good dad and what that looks like. And um, I, I read this tragic uh, stat the other day, and it's talking about how the most important uh, thing that, that causes our kids to retain faith growing up um, isn't the amount of times they go to church, isn't how much they read the Bible, as important as those things are. According to this study, the number one thing was their relationship with their dad. Wow. And if that was broken, then they're much more likely to abandon their faith. Wow. 
But if their relationship with their dad is solid, then they are much more likely to retain their faith. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, you know, I've, you've obviously see that, you know, kind of in your day to day life. And, and as you, especially in ministry, you hear stories where you can make those assumptions, but for the data to actually prove that out, that's pretty remarkable. Um, for the guy who is a lot of guys listening to this podcast are thinking like, I I really do want to be the spiritual leader in my home. I want to, I want to lead my family towards Jesus, but he's like in the thick of wrestling through his own doubts. And it's hard to lead people towards something that you're not even sure what you're standing on and what you, what would you say to that guy um, who is Mm. thinking like, I don't want to miss out on these young years of training and discipleship of my kids, but I'm also just like in the thick of doubt myself. Yeah. I think the two don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, I think it's possible to still like lead your family, love your family, pray with your family. Um, and yet, you know, being honest with, with your wife, Hey, this is where I'm at, or if it's appropriate, you know, depending on their age with your kids, it is hard because there's this tearing. I mean, the word doubt actually comes from this Latin word dubitare, which means two or, or torn. Mm. Um, so there, there is that tearing that happens where it's like, you know, for the sake of my family, I still want them to be reading scripture and seeking God and have a good view of God. But I'm wrestling right now. Um, I think it's possible to do both. It is, it is hard um, and it does come out. So my, my season of, of wrestling especially at Oxford, um, my wife could just tell there was something wrong. And I wasn't that good about, you know, just being honest with her about the, the things I was struggling with. And that part of that was just my theology of doubt, not knowing how to yeah. wrestle with it in a healthy way. Um, and she finally called me out one day. She's like, what's wrong? Like, you just don't seem yourself. And you seem kind of down and uh, discouraged. And I'm, I'm usually not that way. Um, and I'm, you know, just kind of acting like Eeyore, sacrificing woodland creatures, <laughs> all that. Yeah. Um, and she's like, what's wrong? And, and so I remember this conversation. I'm like, this is, this is where I'm at. And this is what I'm, I'm struggling through. And uh, she was so helpful and so loving. And I think sometimes just having that honest conversation no, it shows them how they can pray mm-hmm. and uh, how they can step into the situation. Um, and I think one of the most important ways to wrestle through seasons of doubt is community. So for a dad listening to this, who has like a five-year-old daughter who loves to go to church and you're having this existential crisis of, do you believe in God? Probably not like the best conversation <laughs> to have. Like, I don't know if God exists. That, that could throw it for a loop. But you can find community, you know, in, in other places with other people, um, leaders and uh, people in a community group or whatever. Um, but having those people in your life is so vital uh, in, in times of doubt. Um, Anne Lamott, she, she used this illustration of the ancient Chinese and how if a, a, a glass or, or a vessel became broken um, or an earthen jar became broken, they wouldn't throw it away but rather they would cover it with a, um, a gold leaf. Mm. And that was done not to try and pretend the crack wasn't there, but to draw attention to it. In other words, they owned the brokenness. Mm. Hey, look at this jar. And it's look how many cracks it has on it, but we own it. It's a beautiful thing. Mm. And I think that's what community looks like at its best, where we can just be honest and vulnerable. Here are my cracks in my theology or my view of God or my life. Um, and you have those around you who are willing to adorn you with a gold leaf and say, you know what, 
I'm there with you and I'm praying for you and I want to love you through this. One of the best ways we can help someone who's doubting is to say, I will love you through this. Man, such good stuff. Dom, I'm so grateful that you decided to hang out with us today. This was really, really good. Um, Obviously, we just scratched the surface here, so I'll uh, encourage everyone to go pick up your book, When Faith Fails. I'll link that in the show notes so guys can just immediately click that and go purchase that. But thank you, bro. It was so good to have you on. Oh, man, it went by so fast. Thank you. Love what you're doing. Thanks, man. Hey guys, hope today's episode was encouraging to you. Hey, if you have been listening to the podcast for a while and you enjoy it, would you just take a quick second to leave a rating and review on iTunes? It's really helpful for us and it gets us in front of more people, which ultimately we just want to equip more guys to fall in love with Jesus and to help their family do the same. So one of the easiest and best ways that you can help us is to pause the podcast right now, leave a quick rating and review and help us get in front of more men. I love you guys. I'll see you next week. Later. Later.